Megillat Ruth, Chapter 4. Our last parak has a lot of halachic-related issues, specifically regarding Yibum. Yibum is a biblical mitzvah, in which you have a brother who passes away, leaves a wife behind, no children. It is the responsibility of one of the brothers to come and marry that deceased brother's wife, and to have a child with her to hold the name of the deceased brother. In order to understand the place of Yibum in our story, I want to read you an English translation of Ibn Ezra's commentary on the book of Devarim. He brings a Karite position in order to reject it. Chapter 25 says, Ki yeshevu achim yahdav. When brothers dwell together, this is talking about Yibum. They, the Karites, also said that these are not actual brothers, but rather relatives, and they brought a proof from Boaz. But they have not said anything of value, for there is no reference in root to Yibum, rather to Geulah. And behold, they have been foolish and stupid, for it is explicit with regard to the sons of Yehuda in the book of Bereshit, and do Yibum with her. And this is because Tamar was married to two brothers. And the text said with regard to Onan, that he did not give seed to his brother, and he did evil in the eyes of God. Therefore, we rely on the tradition that the Mitzvah relates to actual brothers. The 8th century founder of the Karite movement, Anan ben David, in his Sefer HaMitzvot, pushes the idea that this biblical mitzvah of Yibum doesn't need to be done by actual brothers, rather by any relative of the deceased. This is not our position at all. The whole story of Ruth, nowhere does Yibum actually occur. We're not discussing Yibum, it doesn't apply over here, rather it is the idea of Geulah. It was a custom that a relative would be able to redeem the deceased wife and to have a child with her and to take the property. And that's what we're dealing with over here, not a biblical mitzvah, rather just a custom. Boaz is the main character of our chapter and he starts off in Pasuk Aleph fulfilling his promise. Boaz went up to the city gate and he sat there and behold the Goel, the one that he referred to in the last chapter, who was a closer relative to Elimelech, uh, was passing by. And he said to him, Turn aside, sit here, Peloni Almoni. And he turned aside and he sat. Who is this Peloni Almoni? He's either Boaz's older brother or Elimelech's brother. We don't know his name. He's just referred to as Peloni Almoni, which is Hebrew for John Doe or so and so. Peloni means something wondrous, Pele, something that's beyond our memory. And Almoni from the word Ilem, which is the inability to say a person's name. Ilem, mute. In Pasuk Vav, we'll discuss more as to why this man's name is hidden from us. But in the meantime, let's just finish this Pasuk with a beautiful Midrash. This is the second time a perfectly timed and placed encounter occurs. Boaz goes to the gate and the Goel happens to be passing by. Rabbi Eliezer said, Boaz did his part and Ruth did her part and Naomi did her part. God said, it is upon me to do my part. After all of our extraordinary characters do their part and go above and beyond, God steps in and makes the Goel readily available for Boaz to swoop in. Pasuk bet. He takes 10 men from the elders of the city and says, sit down here, and they sat down. It's amazing how anytime Boaz says for someone to do something, <laughs> they do it without question. The reason why Boaz needs 10 elderly men over here, according to the Gemara Ketubot 7b, is that this is the source that Birkat Hatanim, the Beracha, that is set at the wedding by the Hatan, needs a Minyan. It could be that he just wants the elders there so that 
in the future, no one is going to challenge the validity of the Geulah, which he's about to perform. Pasuk Gimel. He says to the Goel, This portion of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech, Machra Naomi, Naomi wishes to sell it or has sold it, the woman who returned from Moab. What is this land that we're referring to over here and when did Naomi even sell it? According to the Malbim, Naomi hasn't sold it yet. She just expressed her intentions to sell this land because she has no use for it. She can't work it. She doesn't have the resources. But she didn't sell it yet. Rabbi Medan suggests that Machlon and Chilion sold it once they had already settled in the land of Moab because they felt like they didn't need it anymore. And Rabbi Yoel Ben-Nun suggests that it was never actually sold and it was never even intended to be sold. But when they went to Moab and they stayed there for 10 years plus, no one really owned the land or was in the land. And... There was an issue of squatter's rights. Most likely this closest relative, this Goel, happened to just inhabit the land and took it on himself. And since he has rights to it because of squatter's rights, now Boaz is trying to get it out of his possessions. Either way, the ownership of this land is up for grabs. Pasuk Dalet, Va'ani amarti egleoz nechalemor. Boaz gives the Goel an ultimatum. If you want to redeem this property properly, in front of everyone over here, go ahead, redeem it. But if you're not going to officially redeem it, please let me know, because there's no one else to redeem it, and I'm the one after you, and I'm going to redeem the land. In Pasuk He, Boaz fuses the obligation to redeem the land with the obligation to marry Ruth. Boaz says that when you buy the land from Naomi, you have also acquired, or you have the obligation to marry, in order to establish the name of the deceased on his inheritance. You may be asking yourself, what does one have to do with the other? Why does this Goel have to buy the land and also have to marry Ruth? Why can't he just do one or the other? When a person passes from this world, over time nothing remains of his body. The only physical thing in this world that continues on of this man is his property, his land, and his descendants. Both are important. Land without children means absolutely nothing. Someone else will come and just take it. Children without land is also difficult because the children will be roaming around. They're not established and concrete in this world. It's not enough just to have children in the name of this deceased. He also needs the land for it to be established in. And this is actually the accepted halakha, that the child born from this union doesn't actually be, need to be named after the literal name of the deceased. Rather, by him inheriting the land of the deceased, in that way he's upholding the name of the deceased. This burden is too much for the goel. Pasuk vav. The Goel declares, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I destroy my inheritance. You redeem it, you yourself my redemption, for I cannot redeem. The Shoresh Ga'al appears a remarkable five times in this Pasuk, a total of 15 times in this entire chapter. It's definitely the Milam Mancha, or the key word of this entire story over here. The main question on this pasuk is, why is the Goel so hesitant to marry Ruth? He uses the language, Lest I destroy my inheritance. What is he talking about? 
Eben Ezra and Rabag explained that this Goel had a lot of different properties. And if he had to take upon himself the obligation to take care of this property also, he wouldn't have enough workers or resources to take care of everything. And all of his properties were suffer as a result. And that's what it means, penashchit and nahalati. The difficulty with that perush is that originally he did want to redeem the land. It's only because Root is now in the picture that he doesn't want to redeem the land. And the answer to that is simple. If the Goel gets the land without marrying Root, then it's completely his and it goes to his own personal children. But if he marries Ruth as well and has a child with her as he's supposed to, then the property, that land, is inherited only by that child that he has with Ruth. That means he'll be paying for the land and not necessarily reaping the reward. Specifically because it won't be under his name, it will be under the name of Machlon and Chilion. Rashi explains that he's hesitant because If he marries Ruth, then everyone's going to go and say, wow, he married this small by woman and they're going to start speaking about all of his descendants as having some kind of a blemish. The Targum has a very interesting approach and says that the reason why the Goel doesn't want to marry Ruth is because he doesn't have permission from his wife. The Goel is married and for some reason can't take another. Whatever approach you take, they all fit with the reason as to why his name isn't mentioned. Because the Goel is hesitant and doesn't redeem the name of his deceased relative, his name is wiped out of the Megillah and is only referred to as Peloni Amoni, Midah Keneged Megillah. Pasuk Zayin, V'zot lefanim b'Yisrael ala geulah ve'ala timurah l'kayim kol davah shalaf yishna alo v'natan l'reu v'zot ha'teudah b'Yisrael. This was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redemption and exchange. To confirm anything, one would remove his shoe and give it to his fellow, and this was the attestation in Israel. To confirm this deal, someone takes off his shoe, which reminds us of the Halitza process, but this is not Halitza. Pasuk Chet, Vayomer HaGoel Boaz Kenelach. The Goel says to Boaz, here it is, buy it for yourself. Vayishlof Na'alo. And he removed his shoe. There's a big mahoga between Rav and Levi as to who removed his shoe. The traditional approach is that Boaz removes his shoe and gives it to the Goel. This is called Kinyan Halipin or Kinyan Sudar. And uh, you may be familiar with it regarding Mehirat Hametz. This is one of the ways in which we transact the Hametz between us and the Goy. This is also how the Ketubah is acquired and transferred at a wedding ceremony. As another side, the Targum, Akedad Yitzchak and Riditrani all hold that the Naal over here isn't a shoe, it's actually a glove. Na'al in general just means a covering of a hand or a foot. And when it's not specified that it's for the foot, it could just mean a glove. And that's what was taken off over here uh, as a form of transaction. Pasuk Tet. Boaz says to the elders and to the entire people there that they are witnesses that Boaz has now acquired everything that had been owned by Elimelech, this property, and everything that was that of Chilion and Machlon through Naomi. In the first chapter, we weren't told which brother between Machlon and Chilion married Ruth and which one married Orpah. Now, in their Pasuk, since it's relevant, we're told that Ruth is the one that married Machlon. And Boaz says that now he has acquired uh, Ruth, who was the wife of Mahlon. 
Lakim Shem Hamet Al Nahalato to pull the name of the dead on his inheritance. And his name won't be removed or cut off from amongst his brothers and his location. You are all witnesses, Boaz is declaring to everyone that was there. All the people who are at the gate and all the elders, they say we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and like Leah, both who built up the house of Israel and prosper in Ephrat and be famous in Bethlehem. Ruth is officially no longer an outsider. She's compared to the greatest women in our history, Rachel and Leah. The reason why Rachel comes before Leah over here, even though these are all members of the tribe of Yehuda who come from Leah is an interesting question, which many of the commentators ask. One answer is that in Bethlehem was the burial spot of Rachel and it was kavod to give Rachel's name first. In Pasuk Yudbet, the blessings go further. Your house should be like the house of Peretz, who Tamar bore to Yehuda of the seed which the Lord shall give you of this young woman. Peretz was a child born under very similar circumstances in the book of Bereshit through the process of a form of Geula, and he was the forefather of Boaz. Pasuk Yurgim, Vaikach Boaz et Ruzva Tihilo Leisha Vayavo Elea, Vaiten Adonai Lah, Herayon Vateled Ben. Boaz takes root, and she is his wife, and he goes with her, and God blesses her pregnancy, and they have a child. The Midrash says, a proper woman married to a proper man, an Eshet Ha'il, root, to a Gibor Ha'il, Boaz, and they have a child, who in the last Pasuk we saw, Va'ase Ha'il, he will do and be successful. Pasuk Yodale, Va'tomarna Hanashim El Naomi, Baruch Adonai, Ashelo Ishpit Lach Goel Hayom, Look how the tables have turned. In chapter 1, when Naomi arrives in Bethlehem, everyone looks down on her. They mock her. But over here, finally they bless her. The women said to her, Blessed be you, Naomi, by God, who hasn't, provided, who hasn't deprived you of a goel, and his name shall be called in Israel. This is the same term that we say in a Brit Milah before we name the child. Over here, it's not mentioning his name yet, but it's saying that his name will at least be great. And may he, this child, be a restorer of life to sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, bore him, and she is better to you than seven sons. This is the only place in the entire Megillah that the word Ahab is used. You would have thought that the word Ahab, love, would be used between Ruth and Boaz, but it's not. It's used in reference to Ruth's love for Naomi. As we've seen through the entire Megillah, Ruth's dedication and love for Naomi is extraordinary. To say the least, Naomi is extremely active in this child's life. Naomi took the child and she placed him in her bosom and she became for him a carekeeper. In chapter 1, Naomi lost her two children who were called Mishene Yeladeha. In our chapter, all of this disaster is now fixed. She finally has a child who will be fruitious. 
Pay attention to who names the child. And the women neighbors gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Naomi and not Ruth. And they called his name Obed. He's the father of Ishai, the father of David. This child is named by the society at large. Maybe to hint to the fact that David HaMelech, the final descendant, is a servant of the entire community at large. These last five Pesukim delineate ten generations from Peres, forefather of Boaz, all the way to David HaMelech. Pesuk Yurchet, Ve'ele Toledot Pares. Peres holided Hesron, Ve'hesron holided Ram, Ve'ram holided Amminadav, Ve'amminadav holided Nachshon, Ve'nachshon holided Salma, Ve'salmon holided Boaz, Uboaz holid et Oved, Ve'oved holided Ishai, Ve'ishai holid et David. This precise term, Ve'ele Toledot, appears 11 times in the book of Bereshit, one time in the book of Bemidbar, and nowhere else in the rest of Tanakh, not in Nevi'im, not in Ketuvim, except right over here. Toledot is reserved for extremely important lineage. A thorough discussion of these 10 generations is certainly beyond the scope of this class, but one point is worth mentioning. We know that from Yitzhak Mitzrayim till the building of the Beit HaMikdash, shortly after David HaMelech, there was 480 years Nachshon ben Aminadav, who's the fifth on this list, was of those who left Egypt. That means that six generations from Nachshon to David HaMelech would have to fill 480 years, which by some calculations, they would need to have been 80 years old by the time that they had their child. That is something which is certainly possible, at least for Boaz's case and Yishai's case, um, so it's a possible theory, but if you don't like that theory, very simply we could say that these are the main aspects of these 10 generations, but some of them are skipped. Only 10 are mentioned because 10 is a very significant number as we've seen from Adam to Noah, there's 10 generations, from Noah to Abraham, there's 10 generations. And to continue with that line, they put in specifically 10 generations between Peretz and David HaMelech. David, is, as the product of Ruth, is certainly the fulfillment of the blessing that Boaz gave her. Ruth is certainly rewarded for her dedication, selflessness, and entrance into Am Yisrael.